Hi, this is Claire from Berkeley, Michigan, where I am currently planning my 2022 wedding. That was supposed to be a 2021 wedding. That was supposed to be a 2020 wedding. This podcast was recorded at... It is 1.29 p.m. on April 23rd. Things may have changed by the time you hear it, but hopefully I won't have to change my wedding plans again. Enjoy the show. Congrats. That's so sweet. That, that's tough, though, having to change over and over again. But at least everybody will be safe and healthy whenever they do have this great shindig of exactly. a wedding. Right. It's a catch-up year. <laughs> hey there. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House. I'm Tamara Keith. I also cover the White House. And I'm Claudia Grisales. I cover Congress. The Senate approved legislation Thursday to ramp up law enforcement efforts to better protect the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, AAPI, uh, to protect them from hate crimes. It's expected to be passed by the House soon. Claudia, what is in this bill? It's called a hate crimes bill, but there's already like federal legislation for hate crimes. This, this does something a little bit different, right? Yes, this is going to incentivize police to better track these kinds of hate crimes and deter instances of violence. They'll do it through grant programs, uh, better awareness. It also calls on the Justice Department to initiate a review of these cases of these hate crimes across the country. Um, We've heard from lawmakers and others who have studied this issue. They've seen uh, more than 3,000 of these instances uh, in about a one-year period ending in February. And they also want to expand public awareness campaigns and online reporting requirements. And there's also a bipartisan provision in there. It was authored by Connecticut Democrat Richard Blumenthal and Kansas GOP Senator Jerry Moran. It will let defendants serve community service in neighborhoods that were harmed by their actions. So it's going to give prosecutors another tool when it comes to these kinds of hate crimes. Yeah, I mean, these crimes, there have been a a lot of instances that have gotten a lot of attention recently and just absolutely appalling videos of people of Asian descent or Asian Americans being attacked on the street. And of course, there was also that shooting, uh, series of shootings in Georgia. Is is that why they were able to actually get consensus on something? This was a 94 to 1 vote. That just doesn't happen very often in the Senate these days. Exactly. You could even hear it in lawmakers' voices, including Maisie Hirono. This is a Democrat for Hawaii who sponsored the bill. She was the lead author on this. And you could hear the shock in her voice when lawmakers talked to reporters after this vote. Just that doesn't happen very often. But there was so much passion. You mentioned the shooting in March. Uh, President Biden spoke after that event and, and urged action on hate crimes legislation. And so this really fueled momentum uh, for Congress. And we heard some really um, passionate pleas from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. This includes Tammy Duckworth. She is an Illinois Democrat, also a combat veteran. Let's take a listen. And I've had that happen to me while wearing the uniform of this nation with her flag on my shoulder. Been asked, where are you from, really? Yeah, yeah, your dad has been here since before the revolution, but where are you from? This tells the API community, we see you, and we will stand with you, and we will protect you. 
So that was the kind of passion we heard from members on both sides of the aisle. This even includes Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader who is married to former cabinet official Elaine Chao, who talked about this being a real problem. You know, that really signaled to his caucus to move forward with this and come to a bipartisan deal with lawmakers to pass it by this huge margin. This was a very specific issue that didn't seem to have a lot of pushback. Who was the one vote against it? That would be Missouri Republican Josh Hawley. And as we know, he's a contender. He's looking at running for president in 2024. So this is not the first time he stands out in this way. He said the legislation was too broad, but he has been uh, making a statement after statement. Uh, This goes back to even the challenge to the election results in January. And so this is something that was in some ways expected it for Holly. I mean, to be the one guy, the, the one guy, he's going to be the one guy. He's the one guy. And I think he kind of likes that role of being the one guy wow. because he wants to be the one guy in the Oval Office one day. So hmm. this is kind of part of the script that he's playing right now. Does this portend possible coming together on other issues? It would seem to me like this is a special case and that likely yeah. <laughs> this, this, this bipartisanship won't pass on to other things, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a pessimist. I think that you have a lot of company in that area because a lot of people have a hard time seeing more bipartisanship, at least at this scale. Um, That said, you know, after the passage of this legislation, we did hear from senators, including Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and others saying that there's potential to work on other bills. There is one piece of legislation to boost U.S. competitiveness with China that's going to come up in the next few weeks in the Senate, and that has very broad bipartisanship partisan support. So we could see this happen again. But there's a very tall order on other pieces of critical legislation, police reform, gun legislation, immigration, infrastructure. So it's really tough. But you could say they ended on a positive note yesterday. And perhaps this will fuel into other work that they could look at. Uh, But it's really, really tough to say that that's going to happen, especially because it has been so bitter and partisan in recent months. And in, in the wake of the the insurrection especially. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, more on the White House's efforts to distribute vaccines. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe explains the importance of creating a safe space for therapy. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that say that expression, like, I've never told that to anybody. That's when I know I've made some kind of momentous move with this person. They feel safe enough to expose that part of themselves. And doing that together with somebody else can be very powerful. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com politics. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at AECF.org. I'm Yoe Shaw. I'm Kia Miakonatis. We're the hosts of the NPR podcast, Invisibilia. You can think of Invisibilia kind of like a sonic blacklight. When you switch us on... You'll hear surprising and intimate stories. Stories that help you notice things in your world that maybe you didn't see before. Listen to the Invisibilia podcast from NPR. 
And we're back. Tam, the Biden administration is now working on the next phase of distributing vaccines. Uh, But before we talk about where they're headed, let's talk about where we are right now. Yeah. And really where we are is that we're at this inflection point where we are going from a situation where demand far outpaced supply to a point where demand will not outpace supply, where there will be plenty of vaccine supply and it will be more about persuasion. But right now, more than 50% of U.S. adults have gotten at least their first shot of a COVID vaccine. And 66%, two-thirds of people over 65 years old, are fully vaccinated. And the reason that's so important is because older people have been more susceptible to the disease. That's where more of the deaths have been. So even though now the U.S. has about 60,000 new cases every single day, the deaths are not nearly as high as they were before. And and part of that is because older people have gotten this vaccine. So who are these people that are being left behind, Tam? I think it's important to note that not all older Americans have been reached, and that's an especially important population to get to. And And it may be people who are homebound, people who haven't had time, who haven't had the technology. I mean, uh, we we all uh, have had the experience of sitting at a computer, refresh, 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 trying to get our loved ones vaccine appointments. In fact, Claudia, you called me at... Well, I don't yes. remember. Was it like 6 a.m. on a Saturday I, to say there's well, appointments we, available? We Get traded online. calls because I, I checked with you. I said, is it okay if I call you at some weird times? You were like, yes. Because you were a master at this, Claudia. You have a special <laughs> expertise in the CVS website. She was a pro. Yes. I got obsessed with CVS and refreshing on my cell phone and multiple browsers up in the special times of checking at midnight or between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Those were like the sweet spots. And so, yeah. It's this obsession that propelled so many of us then to get parents, elderly neighbors, what have you, booked, and then now for us that we're we're eligible. So it, it works out, but it's tough. It's it's like there is a it's it, it's tough because it's narrowed to folks who are you know willing to go through all this trouble and stay as obsessed as you know they are to get these appointments. Right. And, and so I talked to uh, Dr. Ashish Jha at Brown University, who's sort of the um, one of the top voices in the pandemic response in this country. And I was like, OK, so who is left? Who's this somewhat less than 50 percent of Americans? It seems like demand is slowing down. Should we be worried about hesitancy and, and you know, vaccine resistance? And he said, we may be misunderstanding the moment. And and here's how he explains where we are. The people who are really, really desperate for a vaccine, those people have all pretty much gotten a shot at this point. And I sort of think of it as like the people who stay, you know, stay up all night in line waiting for that new iPhone to come out. That crowd has been served. The, the problem is that I'm worried we're going to start labeling everybody else as somebody who's hesitant or a resistor. And that's hugely problematic because I don't think they are. And I think actually there are uh, lots of people who are perfectly happy to get a vaccine, but aren't desperate for it, aren't convinced that they need it badly. And we still make it too hard for many people. There's some share of people who just aren't going to jump through hoops. 
And there's another share of people who have questions and need those questions answered and just being told you should get a vaccine doesn't work for them. And we should say that uh, people of color, black and brown people are, even in that older age group, are disproportionately among the older Americans who are not vaccinated yet. So some of those people may be the ones that just don't know how to do, they know how to get, may know how to get on a website, but they don't know how to refresh a million times. And, you know, they're working, they got other things going on. And so if you, if you don't make it, easy or accessible, um, then you really have people that will fall through the cracks, will get sick, and will be in the hospital. But besides those people, there are people that are, I guess, hesitant or harder to reach. Does the White House have a strategy for reaching those folks, Tam? Yeah. So in addition to communities of color, there's also a real concern about rural America. And there are a lot of people of color in rural America, too. Um, but there there are issues with transportation. There are just a lot of logistical and other challenges. You don't want to drive two hours to a mass vaccination site if you don't know if you're actually going to be able to get a vaccine. So um, there are sort of two tracks here. One is a persuasion track. The other track is an availability track. And just working to make it easier to get vaccines. So trying to get them into doctor's offices or, you know, more pharmacies where you literally could just walk in to buy stale peeps left over from Easter and say, oh, look, I could get my COVID shot. Cool. Let's do it. (laughs) I mean, everybody just goes to the pharmacy for old peeps, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, they're used, I mean, I think of, I I had my, my grandparents were in the country. They had bookmobiles, right? They would have, I remember growing up, they would bring the library to the house, to my grandmother's house. So why can't they have a vaccine mobile where they just go around and say, you want it? Yeah. So I think, I think the phase that we're in and is, is absolutely the 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 White House, the Biden administration knows that they're not going to be the best messenger for all of these folks. Uh, and and they also know that they can't manufacture a program that's going to work for every single community from the top down. And so they are working with local groups. They're working with individual volunteers. They're they're trying to share best practices. Um, and and it doesn't look like a uniformed program, I guess, is the best way to say it. They have this thing called the COVID Community Corps, um, and different people are doing different things in different places. And absolutely, some places they are driving vaccines to people's houses. In other places, yeah, I, I talked to some folks in West Virginia where they have in their county, they have never let a single dose go to waste. But one one day, that meant that they packed up the leftover vaccines from the from the clinic and drove them over to a restaurant and vaccinated wow. all of the workers at the restaurant. Um, there uh, is a story about a potato farmer in Idaho who set up a vaccine clinic at his potato farm, and they vaccinated 350 people in a couple of hours. Um, so... I think that there are going to be more and more of these sort of small stories. Um, uh, You know, the individual doctor vaccinating their patients, convincing people who are on the fence. It's not going to be the thousands of people standing in line to get an iPhone or see the Star Wars movie when it comes out the first night. It's going to be sort of this slower 
process. It's going to be more one-on-one uh, man coverage instead of zone coverage. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm struggling with my analogies here. That's really good man coverage. I think part of it is just building the trust. It sounds like some people just listening to your reporting, they're worried about going to Walmart for this kind of a shot or CVS or what have you, their local pharmacy. They want to see their doctor, someone they know, or maybe it's a friend at their farm that they feel more comfortable. So yeah, it does feel like we're going from zone defense to man on man right now because they need that an individual kind of attention and trust to take that next step and say, well, maybe I I should do this vaccine thing after all. Well, friends helping friends person to person. Little things just like you guys did helping me get an appointment for my parents. Exactly. (laughs) We're a microcosm of it. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's enough of the news. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Can't Let It Go. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Sattva. Now you can enjoy listening to politics after a good night's rest on a Sattva. If you think all online mattresses come in a box, think again. That's because Sattva mattresses can't fit into a box. With two layers of coils, one for support and the other for comfort, the Sattva Classic can't be smashed, rolled, or packaged in a box. Visit Sattva at com slash NPR. In stressful times, you want to spend your time checking out not just what's best, but what's best for you. We know you care about what you watch, what you read, and what you listen to. NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is with you five days a week to make sure that time is well spent. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. And we're back. Tam, before we do Can't Let It Go... You and I are going to be a part of a big shindig next week, a virtual live show Tuesday night. So we need everybody to 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 register for that, right? Yeah, so you go to nprpresents.org to sign up. We're going to be on the Zoom, uh, but I promise it's going to be <laughs> fun. It. This is NPR Politics After Dark. Yeah, Ooh. it's 8.30 to 9.30. I am trying to figure out what to wear. Oh, yes. Because last time she showed out. She showed out. So now I got to do Rent the Runway. I'm trying to, I got to start thinking about it. Because last time Tam showed out. So now I have to figure out how can I, how can I even live up to this standard? You know, I don't have anything in my closet. And the thing is, I can't wear the same thing twice. No, you can't. So I got to. The pressure is no. on. <laughs> you might have to rent the runway, too. <laughs> I might have to. Wait, hold, what if we show up in the same dress? <laughs> oh, no. It could happen. <laughs> it could. Oh, I'm going to sign in just for that. Let's hope we don't end up in the same outfit. But it's from 830 to 930. And in addition to us two, because, of course, you want, you know, me and Tam, there's also Susan Davis, Ron Elving, and Franco Ordonez. Yep. And we are going to take questions from you all, um, which is always the best part. All right. So now it's time to end the show like we do every week with Can't Let It Go. This is the part of the show where we talk about the things from the week that we just can't stop talking about politics or otherwise. We are going to start with Claudia. What can't you let go of? Well, it's funny you should ask. My obsession is kind of related to my dog who is staring at me right now. I'm on edge right now because I don't want her to freak out. She's a (laughs) 14-pound 
Chihuini. So she's oh. in a, a rescue and a, a mix of a Chihuahua uh, Dotson. And so she kind of runs our household. And so my Can't Let It Go is related to another Chihuahua rescue out there. His name is Prancer. I heard oh. about him through a viral oh. tweet two weeks ago. Yes. Do you know Prancer? <laughs> no. What is this? What is this? So okay, Prancer is a 13-pound rage machine, according to his foster mom. <laughs> And she is exhausted with Prancer. <laughs> she tried to make him sound palatable, but she just couldn't. She wrote a very long venting kind of Facebook post, got shared on Twitter, went viral. Now Prancer's been on Inside Edition and other programs. <laughs> There's questions if Prancer's the worst dog in America. And she says, if you know, if you own a Chihuahua, you know what I'm talking about. And so <laughs> Prancer came to her obese, wearing a cashmere sweater with a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich stuffed in his crate and he's a neurotic mess he hates men dogs cats children and really you're better off if you have no neighbors because he's going to lock onto their ankles if you do so <laughs> she's begging for help this is through the second chance pet adoption league in new jersey and they're hoping for somebody local they are getting so many inquiries just today they launched t-shirts with prancer's face on Aww. it so yes so that prancer is-, is a celebrity now and i'm just obsessed with him so he's a little high maintenance like a little bit okay he's worth it right I, like- I think so. I think so. I told my family, I'm like, we may have to split up because I really like Prancer a lot. I have to move to New Jersey. So I, I don't know. I'm thinking it over right now. You're thinking it over? Yeah. How, yes. how does your Chewini feel about it? Uh, t- she's giving me dirty looks right, right now, now as I speak. I'm nervous. Oh, my goodness. Don't, don't talk about the other dog. But so this would be a great dog for someone with no family just by themselves and they could just cater yes. to each other. Or really, the person exactly. could to Prancer. Exactly. Maybe on a deserted island. They might be better <laughs> off, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Aisha, what can't you let go of? Okay, so the thing that I can't let go of, we're, we're all married here. Um, and we, we were talking about wedding planning earlier, so this is very appropriate. Um, so you plan your wedding, right? And you send out in, invitations. You're going to have, you know, a beautiful um, wedding, then a red carpet cocktail hour, then dancing till midnight. Um, and then the next day, you're going to have a Sunday brunch. And this is all going to be at an expansive mansion, like amazing mega mansion. Right, that sounds. I've never ooh. understood the brunch part, but whatever. Okay, moving. Yeah. Well, well, you know, so that is not the only question to have about this, <laughs> because <laughs> these people they made this plan, but the problem is they did not own the mansion where they were going to have all of this oh, activity. What? They Uh-oh. did have no. They don't own it. It's not a friend of theirs. It's, it's, it's just a house that they said that God had told them this was going to be the place oh, where they got married. And no. they <gasps> showed up. <laughs> and this happened in Florida, yes. so this helps explain. So oh, they, it's in Florida. Florida. They showed Uh-oh. up at the house with, like, their wedding supplies, and they were trying to have a wedding. And they oh didn't know that. So the house is for sale. So they had, like, viewed it, like, I guess, pretending that they could buy it. <laughs> No. And then they asked the own they asked the owner could they use the house for their wedding and the owner was like uh no 
<laughs> you cannot. Oh my um, god! But they were undeterred, and they didn't realize that the own that even though it was for sale, the owner lived in another house on the estate. Wow! And so they thought they were just gonna go there, and like the house would be empty. And they would have, but my thing is just the audacity, not to just be like, okay, we're going to have a quick little wedding. We're going to be in and out. They plan an <laughs> extravaganza. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. They plan to somehow no. not be they- thrown out by the next morning. By the next, they said they were going to do dance till midnight, and then wow. they're going to have a four-hour brunch the next day. Wow. I mean, they <sighs> sent out invitations and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I can't. I, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it, and and so the guy like called the owner like calls nine one one. He's like, these oh my god, people are here. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing here. They're saying they're having a wedding, and it's God's message. I don't know what's going on. All I want is for it to stop. This is the owner to nine one one. I want to hear those nine one one tapes. <laughs> Me too. Wedding in progress. <laughs> Call police, get them here. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was just crazy. I like it's just wild. I just there's there's an audacity there and a confidence there that I almost respect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You have to channel that sometimes, right? But okay, Tam, what can't you let go of this week? Uh, so uh, what I cannot let go of is something that has made the rounds on TikTok um, and is super viral. And so I guess this is our second week in a row of not being able to let go of TikTok. Um, but this guy, Scott Sice, and I'm probably mispronouncing his name. He is a comedian and former employee of Ikea. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm so glad I you chose that. I know what you're talking about. Oh, I yes. Um, and so he posted a series of videos where he, like, recounts somebody's threat complaint. Like, you know, let me talk to your manager or I'll never <laughs> shop here again. Or do you have any idea how much money I spend here? Do you know yes. who I am? Um and then, like, the music comes on, and this is, like, a TikTok thing. Um, the music comes on, and he says what he's really thinking. Do you know how much money I spend here? More than you should. The meatballs ain't that good. Save your money. End my time. Doesn't matter how much you spend here. We don't thank our donors. This isn't PBS. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't PBS. That's the best oh part, gosh. of course. The best one was the one where they the person's like, I know the sale ended last week, but can I still get the right. discount? And he's like... I know the sale ended last week, but can I still get a discount? Do you hear yourself? We can't go backwards. Time marches on. You want the sale from 15 years ago, too? When's it end, Diane? You want that price? You're going to have to go through the quantum realm with Ant-Man. With Ant-Man. <laughs> And that 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 killed me. Yeah. He's funny. He should be on his way. Sice, who actually handles social media for a PBS affiliate in New York as his day job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> says Perfect. his co-workers have begun to notice the videos. <laughs> <laughs> we don't thank our donors like PBS. That's great. Well, we thank our donors very much. We do. Much. We, thank, we you we them. thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. You would not get that type of service at NPR. Not at all. Always with a smile. (laughs) All right. That's a wrap for today. Our executive producer is Shirley Henry. Our editors are Muthani Maturi and Eric McDaniel. Our producers are Barton Girdwood and Chloe Weiner. Thanks to Lexi Shapito and Brandon Carter. Our intern is Claire Obie. I'm Aisha Roscoe, and I cover the White House. I'm Tamara Keith. I also cover the White House. And I'm Claudia Grisales. I cover Congress. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.